<clears throat> but anyway, um, I, <laughs> I got a lot of notes, and, and, and a lot of them that, that, that said, and again, I really appreciate this, it, it says, hey, God must really want to keep you around. You, you know, God must really want to keep you around. And, you know, yeah, I guess so. And I'm, and I'm like you, though, that if God's going to keep me around, I, I really do want my life to count for something, you know? I want not just the end of the day, but the end of my life to say my, my life counted for something. I mean, there was something that happened th through me. Um, you too, right? I mean, I know you feel that way as well. Now, how do I do that? And, and what's the significant thing that's going to make a difference in my life in order for it to count? And really, that's what I'd like us to figure out and talk about um, this morning. Now, I, I really believe that God connects with us. Um, and with our lives through the Bible. I think that's one of the most direct ways that God can do that. And if you don't have a Bible, we give them away here. So there's no reason to not have one and just ask in the back and we'll, or ask me and I'll, and I'll, and I'll get you one. And, and in the Bible, there's just, boy, great situations and stories of truth and, and life. And, and the stories are there of people. And, and sometimes there are great examples of people doing great things. And sometimes they are really lousy examples of people doing really lousy things, honestly. And we're going to look at, at Jonah, and uh, we're going to talk about him for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, this is the whale guy, Jonah, who's not particularly the best example of how to live it, and we can learn from his mistakes. Um, we know his story. I think we have a picture. This is my favorite picture of Jonah right there. That's my favorite picture, I think, of Jonah in the middle of, of a whale. <laughs> And, and I think if you ask most people, well, what do you know about Jonah, and, and what do you think about, about Jonah, they'd probably say, well, he's the guy that got swallowed by the whale, you know, and, 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 and there's a whole lot more to it, though. That is just a little teeny tiny insignificant part of his life and his story. And the more you think about the guy, all of a sudden, the more you're going to realize you, have, you two have a lot in common, at least I know I do, with him. He kind of wanted to follow God, but he's not so sure about that. Any of you like that? Ever been like that? He wanted God's direction, but wasn't sure he liked it when he got it. Any of you like that? He was stubborn and grumpy and self-willed and in a bad mood. Any of you sitting next to somebody like that? <laughs> um, heck, we all need this. We do. And the guy struggled, the guy really struggled to surrender his life to God, and he got beat up in the process, um, because life doesn't work that way, it just doesn't, and it can't work that way, and we want to talk about how the best life is a surrendered life to God, it really is. The surrendered life is the best life. A surrendered life to God is honestly the best life, and I think that is so true. Let's take a second and pray, okay? God, thank you for these moments we have now, and thank you for life, and thank you that we can live it and that you help us in it, and give me words right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here goes. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Okay, there's Jonah, this guy named Jonah, and God gave him a message. I'm not sure how the message came to him, but in that particular time in the Bible, things were a bit different, and God worked through prophets. And prophets are like pastors on steroids, okay? I mean, they actually um, um, would be told by God where to go and what to do when they got there and what to say when they were moving around that particular area. 
It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against its people, because I have seen how wicked its people are. Okay, Jonah was called to Nineveh. Where the heck is Nineveh? You know, where in the world is Nineveh? And so Google Maps will help us with this one. Um, um, let's see, we can get this one. This is the Mediterranean region right there. Um, here's Israel, and here's where Jonah is. Jonah's right there. And, and if he was going to Nineveh, there's Nineveh right there in that, in that top right corner. God said to him, you go up there to Nineveh. It's northeast, about 500 miles. Okay, that's the spot. The story goes on. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish would be, here we go, there, right there. There's Tarshish. That's where he's headed. Yeah, 2,500 miles away. I mean, the guy knew how to travel right right, right then and there. I mean, why, why would he do that? You know, why would he do that when God said this way, he went that way? You know, God says, I want you to go this way, and he took off that way. Um, and I think there's a few reasons. Nineveh is not particularly a nice place, okay? It's really not, um, not a bit. It looks a little bit like this. Don, do we have the next one here? Maybe not. Um, um, anyway, Nineveh is not particularly the garden spot of the universe, all right? It's not a wonderfully lovely place. It's in the middle of the desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's dusty. It's kind of like Winnemucca, Nevada in July, Okay. <laughs> Who goes to Winnemucca in Nevada? And, you know, who does that? You know, you stop there to get gas, and you want to keep, keep going. It doesn't have the nicest people. This is in the middle of Assyria. Assyria's, Assyrians were not the best people on the planet. And when God said they were wicked, he wasn't kidding. They were the big dogs of the world back then and there, and they would go into nations, and they'd conquer them. And they were, as far as conquering nations go, incredibly cruel. I mean, incredibly cruel. Slaughtering everything, everybody, human trafficking, taking people into slavery, and all this kind of stuff. Unspeakable acts of torture and rape and slavery. And they were raunchy and pagan, and they were building up an army, getting ready to march against Israel. I mean, they were the biggest foe Israel would have. Nineveh is a big, dirty, tough city. And God said to Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. There are people there that need to hear about me. Because God would say, I care about big, dirty, and tough people. What about Tarshish? Um, Tarshish, can you say aloha? <laughs> there it is. That's Tarshish right, right there. <laughs> it's like Maui, okay? It's on the Spanish Riviera, cool ocean breezes. It's where all the cool kids go. It's where all the beautiful people vacation. I mean, have you ever seen that Corona beer ad, Find Your Beach? You know, that's, that, that's Tarshish right there, okay? It's, it's this awesome place. It's an escape. It's a place where I can go and I can just simply forget about it all, be myself. I can call the shots, you know, Tarshish, Nineveh, you know. How do you compare the two? There's no comparison. So you have this contrast. You've got Nineveh, the armpit of the sweaty Middle East, and you've got Tarshish, the place where dreams come true. Okay? Do you, do you understand what he was doing and what's going through his head here? <laughs> However, God wants him in Nineveh, but he wants to go to Tarshish. 
And I, and I know Nineveh and Tarshish are real places, and, and it was a real choice for him to go. Um, I get that, but they can be also symbols of our lives. Symbols for the two different directions I can go with my life. Nineveh would be what God would want me to do. That's a life surrendered. Tarshish, well, that's what I want to do. Nineveh is where God is asking me to go and serve and become. It's a surrendered life. Tarshish is my will for my life. Life for me, the life I want to live, that's where I guess I would say my self-will or my temptations take me. They take me to Tarshish. And when I say yes to Jesus Christ, I have this stubborn self-will that rises up and wants to say no to God and no to his control. And you're going to say, okay, time out, Paul. I'm getting the idea that God's way is always hot and barren and boring and dull and dry. And if I do what God wants, it's like, yuck, you know, yuck. Nineveh sounds like a pretty bad place to live, and if that's what God wants for me, I will choose Tarshish any day of the week, you know? I mean, if that's the alternative, I'm I, I, there. I know a couple things. Understand this: Tarshish doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And you know what I mean? It, it does exist, but it doesn't exist the way I think it exists. Temptation never does. Great phrase in the Bible. It, it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. Yeah, just listen to that phrase: the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's pleasures there, but it's what? It just goes away. Life without God is a fleeting pleasure. You get there, and it's empty and flat. And, 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 and the reality is, and we all know this, temptation creates illusions. Um, temptation always creates an image of, of some reality, but the reality really, well, that illusion doesn't exist, okay? The reality of it is, is, is way, way different. It's an illusion. It's not real. Have you ever seen those pictures for what the resort looks like? You know, you see these great brochures, and then what it really looks like. You know, I think we have one, don't we, Don? Maybe not. Um, I guess not. Okay, we don't have one. All right, but you've seen them. You know, it'll be like the Great Wall of China. It's just, and all of a sudden, you'll see there's about 150 million people that are on it right there. Um, I understand Tarshish is kind of like Margaritaville, right? You know, it sounds great at the beach strumming my sixth string on my French porch swing, smelling those shrimp, they're beginning to boil, you know? But at the end, it's a bad place. Um, this is the big problem with sin. It looks good, but when the reality comes and you find yourself distanced from God, it's a fake life. It, it doesn't, it's not real. Temptation's a fake life. God's life is the rich and full life. Um, remember what Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. A surrendered life is always the best life. And I think the main reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he wanted to live a life for himself and call the shots himself. And there's that thing within us. And he said to God, God, I'll, I'll, I'll live a life for you under my conditions as long as it's as long as it um, works for me. 
When we were kids, we were under the impression, and we get this impression, that doing what God wants is somehow more boring and more restrictive, you know, and just a bland life. And, 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 and we used to just kind of hear, hey, better watch out for what you tell God that you hate because eventually he's going to make you what? Do it or go there. And if you don't like Japanese food, then guess what? God's going to send you to Japan, you know? And it's like, whoa, I don't want that kind of a life, you know, so forget it. Or you surrender to God and God's going to say, wow, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Now hang on because I'm going to destroy your life and make it as miserable as I possibly can. And you kind of get that impression that God's life, the life for God, is going to be a wrecked life. But the Bible says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That which you truly want. And sometimes you don't know it yet, but what you truly want happens only when you surrender and delight yourself in God. Man, what, what, what are the desires of my heart? And when I put it that way, all of a sudden I get real with life and real with myself. And it's a life of serving others. I never feel better than when I've served somebody else. A life of loving and being loved and, and connection. I, I can't think of anything better than that. A life of making a difference in this world. Okay, next is I can walk away from God, but he seeks me and welcomes me back. It's really interesting. It says this. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. If God is everywhere, how could he run away from God? You know, if God is everywhere, how can he run away from God? And the original, the way it was originally written, actually it says, Jonah ran away from the face of God. And it has the idea of a relationship with God. He ran away from a relationship with God. He was saying, nope, sorry God, nope, not going to happen. Um, I'm done with you and I'm done with this and I'm going to now shut the door of my life you. I'm done with you. I'm done with this. And I was just thinking, if a prophet can do that, if a prophet, a guy who just, you know, was really supposed to be close with God, if a prophet can do that, then I can too. And you can too as well. That we can shut the door in a relationship with God. And it's pretty easy to get so tired of a really hard life that you begin to say, okay, God, what in the world is next? And then the, when the what next is not good, you say, if this is how God is going to treat me, then I'm going to take a break from God. I'm going to give a little bit of a timeout time between God and I. Don't feel weird if you've ever felt that. Everyone has felt that. Everybody has. But we've got a God who's so loving and so patient. He understands we're just frail people. And certainly he can welcome us back. God is not phased. He knows what he's doing. He knows what you can handle, and he knows the plans and the course that's best for me, even if I don't, even if I don't. So I'm lying in this stupid hospital, you know, a couple weeks ago, and it's 2.30 in the morning, you know, and, and, and I can't sleep because they're monitoring me, and so I have wires attached to these stickers that are basically all over me, you, you know? And every time I move, one of the stickers begins to take off the layers of skin. You know, if you've ever been there. And I've got, <laughs> it's really, 
I, I, I have one big pad here, and I have one big pad here. And I'm thinking, why do I have these big pads here? And all of a sudden, I realize they're here to use those defibrillator things, you know, if they need to use it. And it's like, holy cow, you know, I'm now a defibrillator, if I can even pronounce it right, risk, you know. So I'm, I'm there, and then they come in and turn on the lights every eight minutes to check something. And they turn out the lights and say, okay, get some sleep now, you know, and eight <laughs> minutes later, somebody else comes in. And so I'm spending a lot of time not sleeping. And so I'm spending a lot of time thinking, and I'm lying there in the hospital room. It's more uncomfortable than I've ever been in my life. And, 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 I, and I think this, and you probably have, that, have felt this too. This isn't supposed to happen to me, you know? This stuff doesn't happen to me, you know? I'm now one of those old guys who had a heart procedure, you know? I'm now one of those. You know, I've joined the heart stent club, you know? <laughs> I'm one of the, I'm a statistic now, you know? And follow along. I'm not supposed to be a statistic. Other people get this, not me. I'm different, you know? I'm the exception. I can lift a lot of weight. I can ride my bike over mountains. I take care of myself. I'm supposed to live to be 95. I eat right, even though Judy Baker is trying to kill me, you know? Everything is good with me. I'm different. I'm different. God, you know, I surrendered my life to you. I'm different. And something inside me said, um, no, you're not. You're just like everybody else. And as long as you think that you're somehow someone different, and as long as you think that you're somehow an exception, better, chosen, God can't use you effectively. And I remember that in my life, <clears throat> I came to Jesus, and I remembered that he gave his life up for me, and so I gave my life up for him. And I, and I said at that time, however and wherever I can be used by you to make this world better for you, I'll do it. And I had to say that again. And if God says to you, um, surrender to me, there's no promise on good. There is a promise that he'll use you. And there's a promise that he'll shape you. And sometimes the shaping means that he makes you just like everybody else and realize you're not the exception. And the quicker I can get that into my head, that I'm not an exception, I'm not an exception in this world, I'm just me, loved by God, and that's good enough, the more effective I can be for him. This is why the Apostle Paul said this, this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships, in persecutions and difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm what? I'm strong. Sometimes when I become a statistic, I become stronger, better than that. Understand, God may be designing you to serve in Nineveh, you know. Um, life may be Nineveh for some of us, you know. And you can say, well, if it were my will, I'm not sure I want to go there, but I have live a surrendered life, and a surrendered life means I've given myself, my will to God to take me where he wants me to go. And therefore, I can say I delight to do your will, God. That is... That is the best. It's an interesting situation. 
It's not as if God doesn't know what this is all about himself. When Jesus himself was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, I don't want this cup, pass, let this cup pass before me because I know what it entails. It entails pain and suffering and separation from you. Let it pass, let it pass. Great struggle. But then as he prayed, he said, but not my will, but what? Thine be done. From that point on, from that moment on, everything rolled into place. And it's as if Jesus was living the on top of life life again. He called all the shots. He was in control. Nothing was out of place. Everything was right. And I don't know what a surrendered life means and what it looks like for your future. Heck, I guess somebody has to go to Tarshish. Maybe it's you. Um, some of us have to go to Nineveh, and that's okay, because it's a surrendered life. Because at the end of this life, I, I want God to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Life may be Nineveh. Challenges might be Nineveh. Your marriage may be Nineveh. Your health may be Nineveh. It doesn't matter. Surrendered life is the best life. <laughs> and so Jesus said this. If any one of you want to come with me, you must forget yourself and carry your cross and follow me. For if you want to save your own life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll what? You'll find it. You'll find it. That's where life is. And what does that say to you? It's what God is telling you, what it says. I mean, I mean, where are you in that surrender thing and finding life? And I believe that in always a surrendered life is going to be always the best life, particularly surrendered to Jesus. Life only makes sense that way. It just really does. And you and I will struggle with that surrender thing because the self will is pretty strong. It's pretty strong. Maybe there's a temptation, a torture that you want to run to. But God's way is here and you're thinking of going somewhere else or maybe you're on a ship to Tarshish. Remember, Tarshish doesn't exist. It just doesn't. And I know my life only made sense when the surrender thing was put in place, and maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to, in your mind, surrender, or even what we will call resurrender again. Resurrender. You did it once. You took your will back. You need to resurrender. And I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me, if you would, please. And if something that um, we talked about spoke to you about surrendering your life, um, that's great. Maybe you're here and you've never surrendered your heart to God. Never. And it's not like shame on you. It's just maybe it's never made sense to you before, but it makes sense to you now. And that's God's grace calling you to himself. And just remember that he loves you enough that he cares about you. You might say, well, how could God love me with all the crud in my life? Well, that's why Jesus died for you. He paid that penalty so you don't have to. But he says, I can make it, and I hope you have accepted that. Maybe you need to, in your will, surrender to him again and say, God, I surrender to you, my heart, I give it to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to each one of us. Thank you.
surrender to you. Temple 